on, guys. It's my turn. Hurry up. Good morning. Before I jump into this, uh, happy anniversary to my wife, 35 years tomorrow. So, yep. As I said in the first service, if you knew uh, about our first 12 years, you'd be clapping a lot louder. It's a miracle that we made it, but we have a great marriage, and that's a testament to uh, God's good work in our lives. So anyway, amen. I think she is watching online with Kayla at the hospital, so I love you, babe. Hey, uh, we had a great weekend. If you got a chance to participate with us Friday, we had date night at our house. There were about a hundred and some couples there. It was great. A lot of fun, good food. Uh, We got rained on a couple times, but it didn't seem to uh, damper anyone. Meg kept coming over saying, what should we do? I'm like, I don't know. Everybody seems fine. So you guys did great. Thank you for persevering through uh, the rain. Uh, We have another event on our patio tonight uh, called Party with the Pastor. Woo woo. Just seems like the right thing to say after party, right? Woo, woo. Anyway, if you're new at Grace, if you haven't got a chance to meet us, we haven't had a chance to meet you, um, we would just love for you to come. Uh, we have about 35 people already signed up, but we can fit a lot more. So if you would like to come tonight, it happens at 5.30. Uh, my patio is right over there across the parking lot. Um, you can just go out these doors and to the right and let Paula know that you're coming and uh, it's kid-friendly. There really is an agenda other than we just want to hang out with you and get to know you and allow you to get to know us a little bit. So we are in week six of Summer in the Psalms Part 2. I want to encourage you to be doing the Plus 30 reading plan. You read the psalm that corresponds with the day's date, and then you keep adding 30 until you've read five psalms. If you do that, you'll read through the psalms every 30 days, actually 31 days, because on the 31st you read Psalm 119, but you give yourself a little extra time because that's a doozy. Um, but you read through it, and it's just a great way for you to participate with us. Um, I would say the Psalms are great, regardless of where you are in life, but they are especially great for you if you are going through a difficult season. Uh, one of the things Meg and I were talking about this, this week is uh, the Psalms are great. You read them, there's just so much good stuff in there, but they are literally a lifeline when you are in a difficult situation, when you are being persecuted, when you are oppressed, when you are struggling with an illness, when life is very, very difficult. The Psalms are there to hold us up and to keep us together. Uh, We saw this last week as we looked at Psalm 62, and you're going to see it again this week as we look at a similar but different Psalm in Psalm 46. So with that being said, I'm going to ask you to stand up right where you are. If you're at home, you don't have to stand up, but if you want to, that would be great. I would encourage you if you're at home watching to still Uh, read the psalm out loud with us, but we've been doing this throughout the series. I've gotten a lot of feedback from everybody that they're enjoying it, so let's continue uh, to do some reading in community. So we're going to read through Psalm 46 uh, with Ryan here, so let's do that. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. 
God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Thank you for the Psalms. Thank you for this particular Psalm, how you've used it uh, this week, how you used it this morning in the first service. I I just pray uh, that you would speak a word to each person in this room, that you would speak a personal word to them, that you would use this Psalm, that you would use this worship, that you would use uh, just the things that we say, the encouragement we give to one another to help us to walk more faithfully with you. We pray that we would leave this broadcast or we would leave this service different than we came because we have sat in the presence of the living God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So now I would love for you to grab your Bibles or your readers, whatever you use, and turn to Psalm 46. I encourage you every Sunday to have something in front of you where you're reading along. If you take notes, I think that's great. Uh, You can write right in your Bible if you bring a a Bible like that. If you use uh, one of the apps like Olive Tree, like I do, you can take notes right in your Bible. But I encourage you to take notes. I encourage you to read along. It will help you to remember and retain the things we talked about. Sometimes you're even going to hear, oh, I got to hang on to that. And by the time you get to your car, especially if you're over the age of 40, you'll be like, I know I was supposed to remember something. Right? So write it down. It will help you to hold on to and remember what God is speaking to you as we go through this. So it was the early 1500s to the mid-1500s that the bubonic plague swept through Africa and Eurasia. And it's estimated that one-third, think about this for a minute, just, just try to grasp it even after we've gone through our own pandemic, but it's estimated through the, through the bubonic plague in those continents that one-third of the population died from the plague, one-third. It became known as the Black Death, and, and it swept through, and, and people were fleeing the cities in masses, and they were living in, in seclusion, trying to stay away from this, this catastrophe, this, this, this terrible disease that was wiping people out, right? And, and they would go there with their families and, and try to stay away from this horrific pandemic. It was during this uh, horrific time that the the German uh, Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, made a brave decision not to leave the big city and go and seclude himself, but to stay in the city where he lived in Germany and to open his home as a makeshift hospital. He did it as a way of caring for the people, as a way of shepherding those people who he was pastoring. So he opened his home, and for the most part, things went well, but he knew that he was risking not only his life, but the life of his family. And it did go well until his three-year-old son contracted the bubonic plague, and he almost died. 
After this horrifying, scary event, Luther began to suffer from some level of of anxiety or overwhelming stress to the point that he would faint. Sometimes he would faint at the dinner table because of the amount of stress that he was carrying. Now, why do I say all this? And why do I, I paint this picture of this terrifying season in Luther's life? It's because it was during this season in Luther's life that he read the 46th Psalm And from reading that and contemplating it and internalizing the psalm, he wrote a hymn which became sort of the anthem of the Protestant Reformation, a hymn that you probably know if you've been around the church very long. So it is, a mighty fortress is our God. So I'm going to read just the first two verses of that song. And what I want you to do is listen for the threads of similarity between Psalm 46, the song that Evie sang, and a mighty fortress is our God. So the words of the song are, a mighty mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and his power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Verse 2. Did we our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabbath is his name from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. Amen? Powerful words, right? Written in a powerful time of of peril. Luther reflects on Psalm 46. And here's what I want you to hear this morning. God does not waste anything. God does not waste pain. God does not waste suffering. He redeems our pain. He brings beauty out of ashes. And if this psalm has anything to say to us, it says this, that God has not left you or forsaken you. And if you stand with him, you will stand in victory. So let's look at Psalm 46. And while the themes of of this psalm and the psalm from last week are very similar, what I I want you to see is there is a very subtle difference. If you remember last week, we talked about inner dialogue. Do you remember that? So no one talks to you more than you. You should pay attention to the psalms. Teach us how to speak to our own soul, how to preach to ourselves. So last week, there was this conversation that David, the writer of that psalm, was having with himself, encouraging himself to walk with God faithfully. This psalm is written to the people of God. It's written to us. It was written to be sung in community. It was a sermon or a song, if you will, meant for the people when they gathered in the temple. We don't really know the historical context. We had a pretty good idea last week of what the historical context of the psalm is, but we don't know with, with this psalm what the 46, what the, what the context is. But what we do know is the city is under siege. The city of Jerusalem is being attacked by some uh, outside force. An army has gathered around the city. And they are putting the the city under siege. Now think about this for a minute. In the ancient world, cities were known by their walls, the size, the height, the thickness of their walls, because the walls were the very thing that would protect them when an army would come. So that's why we see these walls repeated over and over. That's why Nehemiah's ministry was to rebuild the walls, because Jerusalem never could be the city that they were called to be until they had the protection of the walls. Think about Jericho. What happened? They marched around Jericho and the wall 
walls fell and made them very vulnerable so that they could attack the city. Think about uh, when you read about the, the city of Babylon, it's described as this huge city, but it's, but it's mainly described as a city with two walls that were 50 meters high, so thick that chariots and horses could drive around the entire city on top of the wall. So the walls were great. The walls protected them. The walls kept the army from getting in. But the bad thing is it also kept the people from getting out. So when an army would amass around a city, their main strategy would be to cut off all supplies. If they could cut off the food, if they could cut off the water, eventually supplies would run out and eventually people would be starving and dying and they would take the city without even having to have a battle. Now I say all this because I want you to have that, that picture in your mind. This is what's going on in Jerusalem. They are under siege. And the writer of these psalms, the sons of Korah, are writing this psalm, and they're writing to the people. And it's interesting to me that they don't talk about the food supply. Like, we don't know if this is after Hezekiah had built the tunnel that brought water to the city. He doesn't talk about, don't worry about it. We're going to have plenty of water. We can outlast this army. He doesn't talk about any of that. Well, he doesn't talk about food, doesn't talk about water. What does he talk about? He talks about God. And he said, you need to place your trust in God because that is the only place where we will truly stand victorious. So look at verse 1. These writers, the sons of Korah, they make this, this clear declaration. They say, God is. I love this. There is no gray area. There is no ifs. There is no buts. There is no maybes. God is. One of the authors I read this week said this verb is stresses that each moment of every day, listen people, God is all-powerful, that God is never weak, never lacking the necessary power to defeat any invading army or foe. No matter what you are facing, God is. Maybe that's all you need to hear this morning. God is. The passage says God is our refuge, our plural. I love this. God is for all of us, for all of you who have put your faith in Jesus, God is your refuge. The most common words that are translated God or Lord in the Old Testament are, are Yahweh is in there a, a lot, and, and that's, that's one of the translations, but sometimes it's also Jehovah. But the less common word that's translated God, uh, the Hebrew word, is Elohim, and it just main, means mighty one. Right? And that is the theme of this song. The mighty one. Elohim is with you. He is for you. He is your refuge. And this was true for the people over 3,000 years ago. And it's true of God's people today. God is your refuge and strength. A very present. If you read the NIV, which is where I memorized this verse from as a, as a kid, it's ever present. I love that. God is ever present help in trouble. The word refuge, it just basically means a safe place, a secure place. God is your shelter. He is your place of truth. God is not just, get this people, God is not just all powerful. He's not just mighty, but he is with you. Right, he's not just keeping the planet spinning, but he is God with you. God is our refuge and God is our strength. Strength is a Hebrew word, O-Z. Sound familiar? Like the Wizard of Oz. But unlike the Wizard of Oz, who wants to trick everybody to think he is the all-powerful Oz, 
God is the all-powerful one. God is. He is our refuge and he is our strength. And he is very, the passage says, present, ever present. He's near to the brokenhearted. He comforts those who moan. Says he's the father to the fatherless. He is the husband to the widow. He is near to the oppressed. He stands with the afflicted. God is ever present. So when you say yes to Jesus, when you receive Jesus, you yourself become the very dwelling place of the Holy Spirit and you have the presence of God with you always regardless of where you go. So this morning as I was going through my sermon and I, and I read that sentence, I immediately thought of Psalm 139 where the writer says what he says, whether I'm in my bed, whether I climb to the highest heights, whether I go to the lowest of lows, it doesn't matter where I go. You are with me. All praise to God that he's not just all powerful out there doing his thing, but he is with us, we become the dwelling place of the Spirit of God. God is our refuge and God is our strength. This is the truth that we need to take hold of. It's the truth we need to take hold of as individuals, it's the truth we need to take hold of as Grace Community Church, and it's the truth we need to take hold of as the Church of Jesus Christ, the capital C Church, especially as we navigate our own pandemic and all of the chaos that comes with it, especially as we navigate the racial division in our country, especially as we navigate the attack on the family as God designed the family to be, especially in a time when, when there are governmental forces who are coming against the church, especially in a time where the hostility towards Christianity is growing more and more. We need to be reminded every day of every hour, every minute that God is our refuge and strength. He is our ever-present help in trouble. And then it says what it says. Therefore, because of this truth, because God is our refuge and strength, we will not fear. In the most trying of times, in the most difficult of seasons, that's where you discover the depth of the truth that God is your refuge, that God is your strength. He is your ever-present help in times of trouble. Now, one of the things I love about this psalm is uh, what I would consider maybe hyperbole or just uh, <laughs> writing in extremes, but what does the author do? He writes the absolute worst-case scenario. Okay, even if the mountains are falling into the sea, that would be pretty bad. Right? Even if there's major tsunamis, he's talking about the oceans roaring. Even if there's a major tsunami, right? Even if the earth is shaking all around. What is he saying? Even if the world as you know it is falling apart. And some of you are saying, yes, the world as I know it is falling apart. Even if all of that is happening, God is still God. God is still with us. And we will not fear. The writers go on to remind us that that God's purpose, God's ways will not be toward Look at verse four. It says, there's a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, a holy habitation of the most high. God is in the midst of the city. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. This idea of a river, it runs throughout the whole scriptures. We see it in Genesis. We see it in Revelation. We see it in the prophecies of Ezekiel. Right? He talks about a river that will come from the throne of God, bringing life to everything that it touches. Even the Dead Sea will teem with life 
right? This river, Jesus said, what? Come to me when you're thirsty. There is this picture of water and God being our source of water. There's something else I want you to see in this psalm. So look at verse one. We already talked about it. God is very present. Look at verse five. God is in the midst of her. We just read that. Look at verse seven. The Lord of hosts, or again, if you have MNIV, which is how I memorize this, the Lord Almighty is with us. And then verse 11 again, the Lord of hosts is with us. This is what the passage is trying to say to us. The Lord is with you. If you have Jesus, if you have accepted him as your personal savior, God is with you. The almighty Lord of hosts. You know, Lord of hosts means the one who commands all the armies of God, all the angels, all the angelic hosts. That God, all powerful, is with you. Then verse 8, it says, come and behold the works of the Lord. What's he talking about here? He's talking about remembering, behold, pay attention to everything that God has done in your life, and it will help you to understand what God is going to do. We're going to take communion in just a few minutes. Why do we take communion? Because Jesus said, you need to do this in order to remember the works of the Lord, because we're human and we have a tendency to forget. Without significant reminders, we forget essential truths. So we stop and the writer says, come, behold the works of the Lord, the works of the Lord, right? The one who with just a word spoke all of creation into being. The one who the passage says can lift his voice and the earth melts. The one who breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the chariots, the Lord of hosts. The one who causes the seas to separate, to give his people safe passage through the sea the Lord of hosts, the one who led them with fire and a cloud by day, the one who brought manna from the sky and water from a rock, that's the same God who's with you, the one who routed the armies before his people, the one who promised to send a king, the promised one, the Messiah, the Lord of hosts, the one who actually came and gave his life as a ransom for many. The Lord of hosts who paid the ultimate price on the cross so that we who are sinners can be made right with God. The one who promised to never leave you or forsake you, that Lord of hosts. The one who sent the Holy Spirit to be water for our souls and life to our souls. The mighty one. Not just all powerful. He's not just almighty, but he is the Lord of hosts God, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. Therefore, we will not fear. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Regardless of your current situation, regardless of your current circumstances, if you have Jesus, you have everything you need to stand in victory. There's this command in this passage um, that I find uh, liberating, uh, but extremely counterintuitive. Let me explain. Look at verse 10. Here's the command. We read all this about God, and then it says, it says, be still and know that I am God. That word, be still, it's, it's one word. It's the only time this one word is found in the entire scriptures, and the word means cease, stop. 
right? Now, now you have to put this in context. I grew up with this verse always on the front of the brochure for every other retreat I ever went to, right? Be still and know that God. So when I think about that verse, I think about going up to a, you know, a high hill somewhere and meditating and being alone with God and sitting with my legs crossed and going home. I, I don't actually do that, but you know what I mean? That's what this verse has always been to me is a get away, spend time with God. And those are all good things, but that is not the context of this particular Psalm. They are under siege, Like there's an army outside the wall. Nobody's going out to the high hill just to hang out and be quiet, right? So it must be saying something else. What is the writer saying to the people? He's saying, stop. Stop trying to fix this problem in your own way. Stop whining. Stop complaining. Stop worrying. Stop scurrying. Stop and know that I am God. Cease and know. A few years back, uh, it was clearly to date, and I say that because I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but it was the hardest year of ministry that I've ever faced. And I felt like I was under attack. I felt like there was a few people who were coming after me pretty hard. Um, they were less than kind in the way they were doing things. Um, I felt like I was being in a spot where I had to constantly, and, and constantly defend myself. Um, I wasn't sleeping well at all. I was having thousands of imaginary conversations. Do you ever have? Imagine I'm the only one, like lay in bed, and and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say that, and then you you say to yourself, don't, you know, stop having this imaginary conversation, and then you just have more imaginary conversation. But I was in that state for a good period of time, and I literally was exhausted. I hadn't slept well at all for weeks and weeks and weeks, probably months even. Um, it, was, it was hard. And then I had a, a close friend, very close friend, um, who was walking with me through this. He lived out of state. And he called me one morning and he said, God gave him a passage for me. And this is the passage he gave me. Exodus 14, 14. It says, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. And you only have to be silent, be still, hold your peace is what God was saying. Now here's the deal, it's a different word in the Hebrew, but both the NIV especially translated exactly the same way. Be still and the Lord will fight for you. But, but really the literal translation is stop talking, be silent. In my case, I just literally needed to stop talking. I needed to stop defending myself. I needed to stop having an imaginary conversation and using all my words there. I just needed to allow God to fight for me. I needed to get out of the way is what the passage was saying. Now, even still this morning, both times I've read Exodus 14, 14, I kind of chuckle inside at just how easy it is to read and how hard it is to do. The only thing you have to do is be quiet as if that's easy. Especially when you're under attack. Like, oh, okay, you just want me to be silent. Oh, that's easy, right? But there's something about it that's profound. That's why I say, but it's so counterintuitive. You only have to be silent. As if, why didn't I think of that? Right? Be still, be calm, and know that God is God, and that he is with you, and that he will defend you. Now, in case you're wondering, what's the context of Exodus 14, 14? You may already know this, but the people of Israel had just been liberated from 400 years of slavery. Over a million of them, most scholars think, were were heading out and leaving uh, uh, 
Egypt and they were on their way and Pharaoh has this this, uh, moment where he comes to his senses supposedly and he amasses his army, probably the greatest army of that time in the world and he in a fit of rage decides he is going to go find them, he's going to wipe them out, he's going to drag them back into slavery, whatever, it's going to be a massacre and the people of God have gotten to the place where their backs are against the wall, in this case they're right up against the Red Sea and the army is coming and they can see the army coming and they're yelling and screaming and crying and they're looking at Moses saying, what is your deal? Didn't you think this through? We're all going to die. Now, I think we are extremely harsh when we read the story of the Israelites and the Exodus. Like, we're like, how could they be so silly? Well, I think I would have been pretty scared. When the strongest army in the world is coming down upon you and it's just basically a bunch of civilians and I'd had my kids there and my wife is there, I would have been scared. I would have been one of the people saying to Moses, oh, didn't we think about this? Didn't you know there was a sea here? Why are we dying? And that's the context. And God says to Moses, tell the people to be silent. Stop complaining. Stop yelling. Stop crying. And watch. Watch me do what I do. Watch me fight for you. That's the context. Like, like, I don't know what you're facing, but that's pretty big stuff. I don't know if your city is under siege, but that's pretty big stuff. He says, just stop trying to do it on your own and let me do it for you. Friday morning when I was sitting in my office and just kind of putting the final touches on the sermon, I was struck by the gospel. You know, he already did it for us. Like you can't do anything to earn God's favor. He did it through his son Jesus. He's already fought the fight for you so that you can be sons and daughter of the Most High. He's already won the victory. You can't do anything. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works so that no one can boast. So stop striving to win God's favor. Stop striving to win God's, God's, God's approval. Just receive the gracious gift and the invitation that he's given to you. Be still. Receive Jesus. He wants to walk with you. He wants to be with you at all times, whether you're lying down or standing up, whether you're on the highest of high or in the lowest of low. So this morning, you might be in a pretty tough season. And you might be trying to fix it on your own and what you need to hear is be still. Let God fight for you. Maybe you're battling an addiction. Be still. Let God fight for you. Maybe you're paralyzed with anxiety or worry. Be still and let God fight for you. Where do you need to cease and be still? What's going on that's keeping you up at night that you need to entrust to the Father and allow him to fight for you? Who's coming at you? What's coming at you? Or you just need to say, I'm just going to let God fight this battle. We're going to move to the communion table. Abby's going to come up and and get ready to sing with us after we're done. And, And here at Grace... Uh, We have a tradition basically saying that if you've said yes to Jesus, then this is for you. So if you didn't get elements when you came in, you can just come down right now and grab an element so that you have them. 
Um, but the whole idea in, here at Grace is we give you a little bit of time to reflect before we take it. As our friend uh, Martin has taught us, uh, what do you need to leave? And what do you need to take with you? What do you need to just leave in your prayers? What's going on that you just want to confess, that you want to leave behind? And what does God want you to take out of this room with you? So we just take a few minutes and we just allow you to do some self-reflection, to practice that inner dialogue that's healthy that we've talked about for the last few weeks. Again, if you've said yes to Jesus, this is for you. If you haven't said yes to Jesus, I encourage you to do it this morning. Maybe even as I was talking about that, you just realized my life is a mess. And I need Jesus. My life isn't working, doing it my own way. And I want that salvation that Pastor Doug was talking about. It's really simple. You just say, Lord, my life is a mess. I've made lots of mistakes. I've sinned against you. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Receive the gift. And come down and take communion. If not for the first time, take it for the first time as a believer. We're going to give you just a minute to reflect, to think, and then I'm going to come back up and we will take the elements together. Um, some people asked me earlier, where's the bread? It's actually in the very top. So there's two pieces. One's the bread, and below that is the juice. So it's quite complicated. as we were worshiping, I had this picture um, of taking communion together. And as we took communion, uh, a wave of healing would sweep across our congregation, whether you're in the room or you're online. We have so many people right now that are just struggling. I think of Kayla. She's in the hospital now and fighting that nasty disease. I think of my friend Dave. I think about Elizabeth Sharon. It's just a long list people that come to mind that have just been in a tough way. Beth Shom. And I believe, I believe there's power in the blood of Jesus. Do you believe that? I believe that God still heals and I don't really understand why he does sometimes and he does in other times, but I'm going to believe this morning that a wave of healing is going to go from this place as we take this communion together. Scriptures tell us that on the very night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Every time you take it, remember me.
says, in the same way, he took the cup, the cup of sacrifice, Elijah's cup, the cup that had been shared at that celebration meal for 1,400 years, looking forward to the coming of the promised Messiah. That was the cup he was holding in his hand. He said, this is my blood shed for you a new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. And every time you drink it, remember me. Without simple reminders, we forget essential truths. Lord, we thank you for the reminder of your body broken and your blood shed, that you have already fought the fight and we stand victorious with you. The scriptures say that after the disciples took the meal, they sang. So we always sing after communion and Evie taught us a new song this morning. So she's gonna come and we're gonna sing a couple uh, phrases from that chorus. I encourage you to stand right now and sing with us and then I'll come up and close. as I love Grant, there is nothing I wouldn't do to protect this grandbaby. And as much as I love him, your father loves you more. And he wants to fight for you. If you need prayer, I just encourage you to come down. There are people who can meet down here with you if you're online. A number is going to come up on your screen. There's people who are trained who will spend some time with you, praying with you. If you said yes to Jesus this morning, or if you want to and you just don't quite understand, I encourage you to come down. Allow one of these people to walk you through the gift that God has for you. Bless you. Thank you for being a part of the service this morning. We will see you next week. Say goodbye, Grant.
I feel I'm not worth